let's get ready to go into the Word. Will you pray with me as we enter into the Word? Father, we love you. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that embodies and infuses this Word with your power. And we thank you that even though it was written so long ago, it still speaks to us to this day. Father, we pray that in your Spirit you'll open our hearts and our minds to how you want to speak to us. Or take my humble words and fill them with your Holy Spirit's power. Because without you, they are just words. But with you, they can speak to us how we need to hear you speak. So please do that, we pray. Father, we dedicate this time to you. We want your will above all else in our lives. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's get into this. So if you will notice, we have worship notes, always important, but there's also the scriptures on our paper. Um, if you want to begin to turn in your Bibles, maybe you don't want to use the worship notes, you can use your Bible, revolutionary idea, to John chapter 12, or if you want, it'll be on the screen as well. We try to cover all of our bases, so there's no excuse for you to not follow along as we look at the scriptures today. Um, so if you want to prep for that, that's where we're going to be is John chapter 12. Symbols are important in our lives, right? Uh, they tell us about things that are important. They tell us about uh, what part of the year we're in, right? Uh, we have symbols that um, come around our faith. We have the cross. We have uh, the dove, which represents the Holy Spirit. We have uh, water, which represents the baptism, and, and oil, which represents the Spirit. And we have all these different symbols for our faith, right? We have symbols in our lives um, that we celebrate. What When I say Christmas tree or uh, stockings or lights on our houses, right? Our first imagery is wintertime, Christmas, right? If I tell you that uh, there are going to be eggs hidden out on the lawn and uh, kids are going to go find them, we know that's Easter, right? If we were to be put into any kind of a coma, for an extended period of time, imagine this. You're, you're asleep for 15 years. Who knows? 50 years. How long will it be? Say you wake up and all the kids are running around in costumes and there's bats and skeletons on the walls. What time of the year is that? Halloween, right? You wake up and you see garland hanging from windows and lights and you see snowflakes hanging up everywhere Christmas right or we wake up and there's flower bouquets everywhere and you know Easter eggs put put up on windows and we see kids eating chocolate eggs we know that is Easter right symbols help us determine things and each of those things mean things for us right now, if I were to tell you you woke up and you saw stockings hanging on the chimney or on the mantelpiece and kids go and they pull out chocolate eggs and begin to eat them or peeps, those horribly disgusting marshmallow ducks. Somebody, some of you like them and that's fine. I don't understand it, but I don't. Those two symbols don't go together, right? It's a, it's a mashup of like two different important holidays that don't go together. 
Those two holidays do go together for our faith, but they don't go together in our symbolism. So today, the passage we're going to look at is its exactly that that's happening. And I'm going to explain that to you. But two very ex- important Jewish holidays and symbols are being jammed together in this one incident. And I think it kind of confuses some people. All right, And I think that's the reason that my title for today's sermon, The Triumphant Misunderstanding, is really fitting. Because there is a big misunderstanding in this. So, before we read the scripture, I think it's important for us to understand where in the scripture we are. What is happening. This is John chapter 12. We, we read the end of John chapter 12 last week, uh, where we talked, where Jesus predicted his death. The Greek uh, the Greek people came to Jesus seeking him, and he predicted his death as the, the kernel of, of wheat, and that if it goes into the ground, and it, it has to go into the ground in order to die so that more seeds can be planted, or so, so more seeds can grow. It's, it's the idea, he's predicting his death, that he has to die in order for the, this thing that will become the church to grow and to go out. So this is before that. This is right before that in the book of John. And right before what we're going to read today is an event that is crucial in the ministry of Jesus. It is where Jesus is in Bethany and he raises Lazarus from the dead. Many of us know the story of Lazarus, um, but if you don't know the story of Lazarus, Lazarus was a was one of Jesus's closest friends. And Lazarus gets sick, like really sick. And Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, send for Jesus to have Jesus come because they believe that Jesus will heal him and make him better, which he probably would have. And so they send for him, and Jesus purposely waits. He doesn't go. And Lazarus dies. And then stays dead for three days. So much so that the people and his sisters have to bury him. They put him in the tomb for three days. And so Jesus arrives on day number four. And why is day number four so important? Because in the Jewish culture, the spirit of a person sort of hovers or stays around the body for about three days. And after that, the spirit goes to Sheol, which is the afterlife for the Jewish faith. Okay? And so on day four, it's nothing more than a shell at this point in the body. There's no hope of resurrection is the idea. Okay? So Jesus shows up. Mary and Martha are distraught because he didn't come in time. And not only did he not just barely make it, he like really missed it. And we have that very important scripture in the passage um, where it says that Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, two words. Jesus cries because his close friend is dead. He tells Mary and Martha to take him to the tomb. They go to the tomb. He tells some guys, open the tomb. And they said, "Uh, Jesus, we're on day four. It's going to be pretty stinky in there. Let's just leave it closed. And he says, no, open it. They open it. And he says 
Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus hops, waddles. He doesn't walk out because he's wrapped up in cloth like this. And so he's got to kind of come out like this. But he comes out alive, right? He makes, he comes out of it and Jesus tells them to like take off the death clothes because he is no longer dead. He is alive. And everyone rejoices and celebrates. Now, this is not a private event. This is not Jesus, a handful of disciples, the guys who roll the, the, the stone away and Mary and Martha. Like, this is a crowd. Because in the Jewish culture, when somebody dies, um, it's almost a religious element to their faith. They mourn the dead. So much so that there are people who are paid to mourn. Like, that is their job. I couldn't imagine doing that. I couldn't imagine crying that much or wailing. I mean, those people have to drink a lot of water. They're going to be dehydrated. Not much crying. So, Mary and Martha are mourning their brother's death. The, the, the mourners have joined their family and is also mourning the, be- the death. Bethany is a small town, and so the whole town is rallying around this family, mourning the death of Lazarus. So when Jesus arrives, and Jesus is pretty popular, and so people come to see what he's going to do, and then he says, let's go to the tomb. It's not just the small group that goes, but probably pretty much the whole town. that goes out to the, to the burial site, and they watch Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. We know small towns, right? Secrets are easy to be kept in small towns. Not true. Word just goes like wildfire that Jesus has raised a man who was dead for four days back to life. Now why is that important? It's important because this is the Passover time. And Bethany is about five to seven miles away from Jerusalem, which is where everybody who believes in the Jewish faith or follows the Jewish God, has been making a pilgrimage to. And so Jerusalem is like busting at the seams. The the normal population of Jerusalem is about 50,000 people, and it's believed that during the Passover season, uh, that number would raise to 100 or 150,000 people. And Jerusalem cannot hold that many people. So the way it works is, is that there was Jerusalem... And then outside of the city were these basically tent communities that were forming and growing and expanding further away from, further from the city as people want to be there because they need to be there. But all of a sudden, you're encroaching in other surrounding areas. So when the word of Jesus resurrecting Lazarus starts to spread, it does not take very much for it to jump into that new community that is this tent city outside of Jerusalem and ultimately into Jerusalem. Jesus spends some time in Bethany with Lazarus and his sisters. And this is where Mary, uh, John tells us this is where Mary anoints him with oil on his feet. She dumps like a year's worth of salary, basically, worth of perfume, on his feet. And, you know, Judas Iscariot is not happy about it because he's the disciple's treasurer and he sees that, hey, we could have sold that for a lot of money and used it to feed the poor. 
And he also kind of stole from the pot, so he was thinking of himself too. Jesus wasn't the greatest guy, as we all know. But he, and Jesus reprimands him and says, no, you don't understand what she's doing. And they didn't. Mary didn't, even. Because what happens is, this moment is the only time Jesus gets anointed with oil. Like, this is the last thing that will happen before he gets like put into the tomb. Because what the way that the, the Jewish culture buries their dead is that after they they die, they get anointed with all these oils and perfumes, and then they get wrapped and they get pres- it's their way of preserving the body and helping it to not smell and things like that. And what happened on happens on Friday when Jesus dies on the cross is Friday night is the Sabbath. It's the beginning of the Sabbath when the sun goes down. Like you're not allowed to do anything else. So the the disciples are lucky to just get Jesus into a tomb on Friday night let alone prepare his body for burial, to honor him in preparing his body for burial. So what is happening here is Mary is anointing his body with perfume and oil, which will stand for his anointing of oil and body and perfume right before he dies. It's a week a week separated, but it, it's it's a significant moment, which is why John puts it into the scripture. So this has all happened. Jesus is ready to enter into Jerusalem. And this is where we're going to pick up our passage. So we're going to start in verse 12 of chapter 12. And we're going to read through 16. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. The word of the Lord. Jesus begins his journey into Jerusalem. And the word comes before him that he's coming. He was already a well-known prophet or teacher and people wanted to be near him. He was a miracle worker. People wanted to be around him. And then this thing with Lazarus happened. And so people are like rallying to him. So imagine he's approaching Jerusalem. And before he even hits Jerusalem, he's hitting all of these tent cities. And all of these people are coming to, to his his path of um, arrival, and they begin laying down palm branches in front of him on the ground. And other gospel writers say they lay down their cloaks in front of him. All of these are symbols of how you, uh, how you honor a king who is entering into the city. And here's the thing that... This is where the, the symbols of two holidays come together. And I didn't know this until I was studying the scripture today, and it blew me away. Not today, but this week. Palm branches have nothing to do with the Passover. Do you know what palm branches, what holiday in the Jewish culture palm branches sort of go with? You're not going to guess it. Well, you might. It's only two that I know of, two major holidays in the Jewish culture that I know of. I mean, there's more, but they go to Hanukkah. It's a weird idea, right? Think Hanukkah. 
And Hanukkah is the one that, that the Jews celebrate around the Christmas time, and it's the lighting of the, the eight candles. So here's the story of how this, how these things come to be. So about 150 years before Jesus came to the um, to live on, on on the earth, there was a a man named Judas Maccabeus, who was the son of a temple leader, uh, and he led a revolt against the what would what was the Syrian the leftovers of the Syrian kind of not empire because it's not an empire. So let me. Let me tell you how it happened. Alexander the Great, Greek leader, he went through all the Mediterranean and he conquered and he, he spread the Greek empire, right? When he died, shortly after he died, his empire was broken up. And all of these ruling parties tried to gather as much of the land as they could and make their own little kingdoms everywhere. And so there was a kingdom that was based in Syria and Judea was part of that kingdom. And so this king is trying to impose the Greek religion on the Jewish people. And Jews don't, they don't stand for people telling them who they have to worship. Because there is only one God, and they will only worship that one God. So if they, if they're being told they can't worship their God, but they have to worship these Greek gods, they put up a fight. Now, Maccabeus' father starts the revolution. And during the course of the revolution, he dies. And Judas takes up the mantleship as the leader, and he is a military genius. And he defeats this army several different times on different fronts. Um, but at, at one point, they get sieged up inside of the temple. And Judas leads the people through that time, and they pray to God and and they ask God for his provision, and he provides enough light for eight days, hence Hanukkah. And after the eighth day, the siege is broken. Maccabeus leads the people out and leads them to um, to a play, uh, to, to victory, and they're allowed to worship their gods. The, the Jewish people um, make him their king. And when they make him their king, when he enters into Jerusalem, they lay palm branches in front of him, yelling and praising God and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, because he has saved them. Okay? That's how it's all part of Hanukkah. It's The palm branch becomes a symbol of liberation, of revolution, of this kind of military king. And so here is Passover, which is a totally different holiday for the Jewish people. In the Passover, they're celebrating the Exodus, right? They're celebrating God's deliverance from oppression. Right? So we, the story of Exodus we know is that on the last plague of the, of the ten plagues in Egypt, God tells Moses to tell the people, take a lamb into their home and they are to love on that lamb and then they're to kill the lamb. And they're to take the blood of that lamb and they're to spread it on the doorpost and the lintel across the top of the door and the outside of the door. And if they do that, when the, the angel of death comes through, which is that last plague, if it sees the covering of the blood, then the angel will go over that house and not go in. But if the door is not covered with the blood of the lamb, then the angel goes in and he kills the firstborn. 
this is the last straw, right? The, the, the Pharaoh can't handle it, tells Moses, get these people out of here. I, I, I mean, he's through. And it leads to their freedom. So, here are two holidays that the Jews celebrate at different times that both represent God's, uh, God's provision, but it also represents a time when God leads them to freedom. The Exodus, Hanukkah. And here comes this man who's just done something that no one, they can't understand it. He's obviously blessed by God. He's obviously been picked by God. He's obviously the Messiah. They believe that. They believe that he is the Messiah, which he is. But their idea of what the Messiah is, because they thought that Maccabeus was the Messiah. They thought Maccabeus was the Messiah. And so they decide they're going to do what, they're going to honor him the way that Maccabeus was honored, because they, this is their idea of what the Messiah should be. This, this general, this leader who's going to bring them out of oppression. And in this case, the oppression of the Romans. Romans. So they put down their branches. They honor him. And they're yelling, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save me or save us. It doesn't mean praise God the way that we kind of sing it. What it means is save us. Liberate us. Keep us free. They're yelling to Jesus to, to, to liberate them. Jesus comes in and it says that he's on a donkey. He's on the back of a donkey. Some of the commentators I read this week said that Jesus does this in order to sort of temper the enthusiasm of what this moment was. If he'd have come in riding on a, on a horse, a big old steed, what imagery is that? Right? The image of a conquering hero. That's how the Romans honored their kings. They would ride in on these big stallions. People would be praising their name, calling them king, triumphant entries. That's what they all are. Every time the Roman generals or the Roman king, or the emperors would win wars, they would have a triumphant entry into Rome and they would line the, the streets just like is happening here. This symbolism is not lost on the Romans that are around. So Jesus doesn't come in on a horse. He comes in on a humble donkey. He's trying to temper it a bit. But at the same time, he's hearkening back to another king who rode around Jerusalem on a donkey. You know, King David rode around the city on a donkey. He would parade on a donkey to show that he was humble king. And David was the true king of Israel. Everyone else after that was paled in comparison to David. And Jesus is riding in on this humble donkey, telling the city to not fear him as a conquering hero, because he's coming in as the true king. He's coming in as the true Messiah. And the misunderstanding is that He's not coming in in the, in the form of a Messiah that the people think He's coming in at as. He's coming in in the form of the Messiah that they truly need. 
They believe that he needs to come in and he needs to take over and he needs to free them from the from the oppression that the Roman Empire has placed on them. And Jesus is coming in as the true king to free them from the very to, from the true root that was destroying them. The root of sin, the root of evil that everyone was bound up in. And they didn't, they didn't get that. You know, this isn't the first time that Jesus, that they attempted to make Jesus king. In John chapter 6, John tells us of Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. He feeds 5,000 men and all of their wives and children. And so it's like 15,000 out of um, five loaves and two fish. And he, he feeds them all these people. And people praise his name and they rejoice. And the and John actually says that the people tried to forcibly take him and make him their king. Like they tried to kidnap Jesus to make him their king. Like they had a plan. I mean, if he could do this, then he should be ruling things. Because you see, everybody was starving and they needed somebody who was going to take care of them. So they were going to make him their king. And it says that that's the point when he slips away and he goes off to pray. People have funny ideas about what they think should happen. The Jews had a very clear idea of what they thought the Messiah should be about. They were going to make him their king. He would be their physical king. But Jesus knew that wasn't the plan. Like we talked about last week, he knew that the will of the Father was for him to go to the cross. And it's interesting when you think about what's going to happen in this next week of time for Jesus. He's right now being praised as the king. They're laying palm branches at his feet. By Friday, they're not yelling Hosanna anymore. They're yelling crucify. But that's where he had to go. In order to be the true king and the true Messiah. So that we all could be set free. Instead of just the people from their physical oppression. When we... When we think about Palm Sunday, it's always a Sunday of celebration. And I don't, I'm not trying to not make that, that this today. I want us just to celebrate it for the right reasons. This is the triumphant entry of the Lord. But for very different reasons than it was originally thought that it was a triumphant entry. This is the triumphant entry of the Lord coming into the last week of his physical life, the last week before the sacrifice that would free us all if only we were to believe in him it's the, the it's the triumphant entry that will end, that will begin the week that will allow for us to believe in Christ and allow for a triumphal entry into our hearts as the true king of our lives The Jews had a misunderstanding of what this week was supposed to be about. 
they expected this Jesus to potentially lead a revolution during this time. The Romans were afraid of that too. They thought the same thing. You see, the Israelites were not, they were not afraid of a revolt. And Passover was always the perfect time to have a revolt. Because everybody was together. Everybody was celebrating the freedom they got from Egypt. The Romans were oppressing them in a way that was similar to the way that they felt oppressed originally. It only took one or two zealot people speaking about liberation, lifting up one of them as a king or, or one of them as a liberator, and then it might spark a revolution. Every Passover, the Romans brought extra forces into Jerusalem to prepare for it. Pilate is on notice. We don't talk about it because we don't have other services this week, but Pilate's on notice that like he can't let another revolt happen or he'll be in trouble. It's the reason that that the Jewish leaders who were afraid of being shut down because if they get if they get if there's a revolt, the Romans were going to shut their religious uh, freedoms down. It's the reason they were afraid of Jesus. Because if he sparked a revolution, and they would all, in their mind, lose out. And that, those are all things that are happening in this moment. And it's none of it is an accurate representation of what Jesus is actually doing as he walks in to the city. He's walking towards the destiny that would free us all. He's walking towards the cross and the resurrection that would make it possible for you and me who have no connection to the Jewish faith to also be part of this amazing thing that is the family of God, that is the kingdom of God. And because of that, we also have the true king. We also have him in our hearts. We have the ability to be part of this thing that he started, this culmination of the will of God. And that is worth celebrating. That is worth rejoicing. That is why this is a triumphant entry. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your love in our lives. We thank you that you are the true king. That you are the true Messiah. That you are the one who can be everything to us. Father, help us to never put our will above your will. Help us to never be like the Israelites who thought that we, that you should be this thing. Help us to see the full picture, all of it, together. Father, we lay our will at your feet. We lay our concerns, our worries, we lay our anxiety, our fears, your feet. Thank you that you are the King. We thank you that you will lead us and guide us. We thank you that you will bring your peace that you will bring your understanding to situations that might overwhelm us. We thank you that as we enter into this week where we celebrate 
your your death and your resurrection, that we can do it knowing that you are the true king. We can know that on Friday the story doesn't end. It only begins. We rejoice in you. Father, if there is anyone out there who has not let You into their lives, I pray right now that they will open their hearts to You, that they will allow You to have a triumphal entry into their own hearts so that You can begin the work of, of, of forgiving them and cleaning them and making them whole and new again as You've done for so many. We celebrate You. We honor You. We give You praise because You are the King Lord God, Lord, we want Your will in our lives above all things. We want Your will in our church, in our communities. Father, I pray that You will continue to work in us and lead and guide us. Make us more and more like You, we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a song, and then we're going to have more sense. I'm careful. Stand upon your truth. I will stand upon your truth. All my days I'll live for you. this week, you will go out in preparation for Easter. I pray that you will go out and let the Lord lead you as the true King. Continually put our wills at His feet. Allow Him to guide and direct us each and every day, each and every minute of our day. So that we can come back next week and we can celebrate his resurrection, the thing that frees us, be part of his family. Have a great week.